Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This podcast episode coming to you three days after the conclusion of the NFL draft where Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, and the New York Jets absolutely dominate the draft yet again. I loved the draft last year. Great building pieces. Great foundational core guys brought in. Mekhi Becton, Denzel Mims, good manipulation of the draft board, finding some late-round flyers. Loved the work last year, but that was just the first step. It needed to continue this year. Getting rid of Sam Darnold was an emotional step in the wrong direction, but for the team's sake, it might be a step in the right direction direction and it resets the quarterback contract which is a nice thing for acquiring new players in the future but Joe Douglas goes for not only a quarterback in the draft pick number two but then builds around the offense for the next three picks something I really wanted to focus on then he gets some flyer players some really versatile speedy guys for Robert Tyler's defense tons of good stuff in this draft love what he did 10 guys brought in lots of excitement lots to get to in this podcast I said last week when we were doing a preview of the draft that that was like my least favorite type of episode to do because it was baseless not a lot of substance it was just a bunch of opinions and hypotheticals and what if we draft this guy and who could we target this one this is my style of podcast because we got our guys we got our 10 and now we can analyze who they are welcome them to the team figure out how are they going to be used what are we going to do who are they going to be competing with in camp and all that good stuff and hopefully these are the guys they are going to help take the Jets to the next level and continue building the you know, the foundational core young players that are on those rookie deals that will get this Jets team back into the playoffs and hopefully competing for Super Bowl soon. So lots to get to today. Not sure how long this is going to take me, but, you know, we're going to have some fun with it. I apologize for my nasally voice. Got a little bit of a allergy cold thing going on, but we will persevere and strive through. Before we begin the podcast, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast anywhere podcasts are found. This is under the Gang Green Nation podcast. The series title is This is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. If you want to hear more about any of these guys or something you want me to get into more detail on, go for it. I am for sure going to be leaving stuff out. Um, there's just too much information, too many things, but we've got, you know, it's May 4th right now. We've got until September when we're watching actual live Jets regular season games. So plenty of time to cover anything. Like I said, just engage on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Anything else you want me to cover in the next couple weeks? I don't really have an outline for what we're going to do next week. I toyed with the idea of a mailbag, but I think those are kind of cheesy. I was like, I don't really like doing like just rankings, you know, ranking the best 15 Jets running backs of all time. It's like something like that. It's just trying to fill space. I don't know. It's probably too early to do training camp, like, positional battles, but we'll find something. Maybe some more news will come out, maybe some breakdowns of some players. We'll be back in two weeks doing that, but today's episode, we got to talk Jets news, we got to talk, you know, what were the targets going into the draft, positions of need, then break down who we got in our draft class, analyze those players, we got undrafted free agents to bring in, and then, of course, the fun sections, what's on tap, father time, a bunch of other stuff mixed in. Alrighty, so starting with news, Quinnen Williams has a broken bone in his foot, we find out today. He's estimated to be out for surgery 8 to 10 weeks. That brings him to August, the beginning of August, end of July. And when you think about it, August is when preseason games start. Regular season starts in September. It's not the end of the world if he doesn't play in preseason. In fact, you'd probably prefer that he only play a series or two 
in a couple of those games just to get back up to game speed and everything before the season starts, but he doesn't really need a ton of work within the preseason. He's going to be just fine. The problem is now that it's his foot, and he's a larger guy, just getting into football shape before the season begins, making sure that he's not rusty, making sure that he's not a step behind, because that's when further injuries and stuff can occur. We don't want anything like that to happen to Quinn and Williams, so hopefully everything goes well with him. In other Jets news, Teddy Bridgewater former Jet, has been traded from the Panthers to the Broncos, and that's the same location, the Panthers, where Sam Darnold was dealt. So Teddy Bridgewater was originally his backup when he was traded there to presumably be the starter, at least in the interim. And then with Teddy Bridgewater being traded to Denver, this is the second time now that Bridgewater's been traded from a team due to Sam Darnold being ahead of him on the depth chart. And from there, the Panthers did not draft a quarterback in this year's draft. They took J.C. Horn with the eighth overall pick and decided to go Sam Darnold route. And so they pick up his fifth-year option. He's going to be playing there for at least two years, it looks like. And he's going to have a real fair shot. And honestly, that's what I want for the guy, just getting in there, giving him a real shot to be an NFL quarterback in an offense. They invested in some good offensive pieces there. I think they've got some good guys around him with Christian McCaffrey and stuff coming back. It's very possible that he has his most successful football ahead of him yet. So that's the big news with Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold. So getting into the draft for the Jets this year. What did Joe Douglas do? We talked last week about the positions in need. Number one, quarterback. That was an obvious one. Number two, interior offensive line, replacing Alex Lewis or Greg Van Roten. Number three, cornerback. Linebacker, wide receiver, running back, kicker, and then edge, tight end, tackle, and safety. In that order. So the biggest ones were quarterback, interior offensive line, cornerback, linebacker, wide receiver, running back, and kicker. Those were the big ones. And I said in the last podcast that it was imperative to me that if we're going to be drafting a quarterback at number two, presumably Zach Wilson at the time, it's very important that we invest in the offense, something we didn't do for Geno Smith, something we didn't do for Sam Darnold, something we really didn't do for Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez was successful for the first couple years of his career when he was living with rented players, a bunch of old, wily veterans, you know, LaDainian Thomas and Thomas Jones, Brilliant Edwards, Antonio Holmes, Tony Richardson, Alan Fanica, Brandon Moore, Damian Woody, guys across the board, these were established veterans. But when the time came for those guys to move on, and the only real core pieces the Jets had were Sean Green, Dustin Keller, and then DeBrickashaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold, it wasn't enough. And Sanchez started to struggle. Now, was he going to be a great quarterback regardless? Probably not. But they didn't invest in the core pieces that were going to be there for the long term. And it's important that getting a guy like Zach Wilson, if we're going to do that, that we build around him and make him comfortable continuity. Guys that are here for the long term, not just in for a season or two and then out. So how did Joe Douglas ultimately do this? A quick rundown of the 2021 draft class. Pick number two, Jets draft quarterback Zach Wilson, BYU. They trade pick 23, 66, and 86 to the Vikings for pick number 14 and 143. Now up at pick 14, they draft Elijah Vera Tucker, guard from USC. Played some tackle, played some guard. He's going to be playing guard for us. At pick 34, they draft wide receiver Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. Then pick 107, Michael Carter, running back, UNC. You can see those first four picks, an investment in the offense. Now they trade that pick 143 to the Raiders for 162 and 200, and they followed up with a pick 146, Jamie and Sherwood, safety linebacker hybrid from Auburn. Pick 154, Michael Carter II, a cornerback, free safety, nickel guy. They trade pick number 162 and 226 to the Chiefs for 175 and 207. At 175, they draft Jason Pinnock, cornerback out of Pittsburgh. At pick 186, they draft Hamza Nasiruddin, safety linebacker hybrid from FSU. 
And at pick 200, Brandon Eccles, cornerback out of Kentucky, and pick 207, Jonathan Marshall, defensive tackle from Arkansas. That is the Jets' 2021 draft class, and I love it for so many reasons, and we're going to get into all that soon. But when you look at it and you look at the needs chart and what we had for the Jets, the number one need on the list quarterback, the Jets go Zach Wilson, arguably the second best. In some cases, people think he's the best quarterback in this draft class. We get him. The next biggest need, interior offensive line, Elijah Vera Tucker, a guy I really wanted. We trade up to get him. The next biggest, most important offensive need, wide receiver. We go for Elijah Moore, nasty, gritty little slot guy. And then the next biggest offensive need, a running back. We take Michael Carter. From there, I mean, we had a couple other needs left. We had tight end. We get a guy, Kenny Yaboa, a uh, undrafted free agent. We had tackle on there. We got a few offensive linemen in the undrafted pool. But when it comes down to it, the Jets added everything that they needed on offense for this year to continue building each group forward. So I can't be upset with this. I said going in, I said after the quarterback pick, between picks at that time, 23, 34, and 66, and maybe even 86 in there too. I said I wanted two out of those next three picks after Zach Wilson to be offensive players. I got three out of three. The first four picks for the Jets, offensive players. And Joe Douglas actually moved up to get that guard. And some people are like, well, you gave up 66 and 86. It's a lot to give up to move up that spot. You know, nine positions. You're giving up two third-round picks, which potentially were some decent players at the time. But if he's as confident in Elijah Vera Tucker as I am and likes him so, so much to pair next to Becton and be an amazing offensive guard for the next 10, 12 years, are we really going to be complaining that we gave up two third-round picks that would be flyers for another team? Absolutely not. Those are the things that are different difference makers on a team. Sure things. And to me, AVT is a sure thing. So great trade there. So on my list, I said, you know, I did 50 guys. My dad did 50, another five guys or so that he put in his father time last week. He did a lot more than that, but we had like a list of 55 guys. I said, I want to get a few of these guys. For me, I think last year on my list, I got four guys out of the 10 that we drafted or nine because we traded one pick for Quincy Wilson. This year we draft 10 guys. I said, I'd be happy if we got three or four. We got an official three guys. And kind of four. So number one, Zach Wilson. That was kind of obvious. Number two, the guy I said I wanted most of that 23 pick, if possible, AVT. Elijah Vera Tucker. Makes sense. I wanted him bad, and we got him. So I love that pick. Hampson Dean, a guy the Jets took later in the draft at pick 186. He was one of my dad's sleeper guys. Really big, 6'4". We talked about him on the father time last week, so that was exciting. I looked him up after the show. I was like, Dad, I'm right there with you. Add him to the list. So he's a guy that we had in there. And then Michael Carter, I didn't have him per per se, I uh, was talking about getting possibly Najee Harris or Travis Etienne because I like both those players, loved Kenneth Gainwell, and then talked about Demetric Felton, but in there mentioned, you know, Javante Williams and Michael Carter I have as my number four, or my number three and five running back in this draft class, respectively, Michael Carter being the fifth, and, you know, I didn't think that he'd be available when you're looking at that fourth round. I had other guys that I liked in the fourth round, guys that I liked in the third round and second round, but, you know, in the fourth round, I didn't think he'd even be there. So to get a guy like that, it's awesome. I love what I saw from Joe Douglas. So, before moving on to the next portion, breaking down some of the players and talking about Joe Douglas's vision and all that, I want to do a quick father time and talk about what my dad saw. And this is a pretty good one because dad is getting more and more optimistic as the years go on. This one is actually titled New Optimism. This is this week's father time written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. Congratulations to all Jets fans on the apparent success in free agency and the 2021 draft. We may not be in the playoffs in 2021, but there has been significant progress forward to where we can at least think about it. 
we can envision it. And this team will surprise a few opponents this season. Consider this. We've upgraded at many positions. Here are our presumed new starters. Zach Wilson, quarterback. Elijah Vera Tucker, left guard. Carl Lawson, edge. Corey Davis, wide receiver. Sheldon Rankins, defensive tackle. LaMarcus Joyner, safety. Elijah Moore, wide receiver. C.J. Mosley, middle linebacker. He's new because he hasn't played in two years. All new starters, a new look. 36% positive upgrades in one offseason. And consider the additional contributions from running back Michael Carter, Jason Pinnock, who's a great scheme fit at cornerback, and our new linebacker safety hybrid Hamza Nasiruddin, who will add a new wrinkle to the defense, and this can be called a reworked Jets team in two seasons. One thing's for sure, the 2021 New York Jets will be faster and play with a new enthusiasm that has been missing for a very long time. We are the upstarts, the young Turks on the block. But this, thanks to Joe Douglas, perhaps the most important upgrade is Coach Robert Sala. Just listen to him talk and communicate. I think I would go through a wall for this guy. I hope everybody enjoys their summer and is ready for some football Sunday fun this fall. Go Jets. End scene. Whew. Here we go, Dad. Optimistic as ever, and he's absolutely right. When you look at this team and you look at the players that we've added, it is crazy how new look it is. So those players, he said, 36% positive upgrades in one offseason. On top of that, you've got guys like Denzel Mims, LaMichael Pirine, Ashton Davis, Bryce Hall, people that have really only been playing for one year, Javelin Guidry. You know, you got a bunch of guys like that mixed in here, Bryce Huff. And when it comes down to it, a lot of these guys, you still aren't entirely sure what their fit would be in the old scheme. Now you're plugging in a brand new defensive scheme with Jeff Albrecht. On offense, you're running a new wide zone scheme in this LaFleur, Shanahan-style offense. It's going to be totally different. you got a brand-new quarterback, brand-new head coach, pretty new GM. When you really look at it compared to last year and the previous years, there are very few pieces on this team that you can look at and say, I know exactly what this guy's going to do and what I'm going to get out of him because everybody's going to be asked to do somebody diff- something different, and there are so many new guys being added in to a whole new scheme, offensive, defensive playbook with new coach. It's just... It's really hard to tell exactly what this team is going to be, but what we can tell is they are moving forward in the right direction. We can tell that they're improving the offense, that they're investing in the offensive line, they're trying new with a new quarterback, that they're going for the best culture in sports by bringing in guys like Robert Sala and some of these players that they have. So that stuff is evident, and it's great to see, and it's why I'm so excited. But that's absolutely right. These guys, you know, he talked about those people that are going to be big impact players, but then, yeah, Michael Carter, Jason Pinnock, Thompson and Seraldine, like, are these guys going to make big differences as well? If you add them in, this is going to be an extremely exciting team to watch because everybody's got upside. We drafted nine guys last year. We draft 10 this year. I mean, that's 19 drafted guys in the last two seasons from a guy who we think is a pretty good drafter so far, plus the free agent additions that he adds, mostly young guys, a couple veterans. You can have a fewer older guys just to set that leadership tone, but very new look. And tons of reason to be optimistic. This right now is as optimistic as you could really be. It's all these question marks, but everything full of possibility and hope. And I love it. Thank you for the father time, Dad. That was a great one. And before we move on to the next portion of this podcast, we have to take a quick commercial break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We were talking about the list that I had from last week. We did not draft Jose Borregales at pick number 226. We didn't even draft at 226. We ended up trading up. Our last pick was 207. We took the defensive tackle, Jonathan Marshall, from Arkansas instead at that spot. Not a position of need, but a good flyer. This guy's athletic, and we'll talk about him a little bit later. I really wanted Borregales, and it didn't happen, so that's kind of a bummer. He was the one guy that I was, like, really going after. He ended up going undrafted and then signed with the Bucks to you know, compete for a kicking job there and potentially go for a Super Bowl in his rookie season. I mean, just imagine we're watching the Bucks back in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady again, and Borregales is drilling these long game winners after I stamp my foot for one player in the entire draft in the sixth round, kicker Jose Borregales. I mean, that is just, uh, that'll just be not fair, but we'll see what happens. Hopefully no more ficking, but uh, just got some other guys in there too, and we did end up getting a kicker. When you look at the undrafted free agent class, I'm not going to get into these guys specifically. Uh, there's a couple that stand out to me. It's Kenny Yaboa, the tight end from Ole Miss. He played with Elijah Moore and is actually a very athletic tight end. He kind of reminds you of Chris Herndon. He could potentially be very fun, a position that we would like to improve. You know, those guys like Daniel Brown and Ryan Griffin. It'd be nice to improve them with a young buck. But then after that, we got uh, a kicker, Chris Nagar from SMU. He was not my top kicker. He was not even my second kicker. That would be Evan McPherson, but I don't even want him. I just wanted Borgales. Anyways, we bring in one kicker, Chris Nagar. He will come into training camp. He'll be the new Ross Martin. We'll see if he can win the job or if he's just going to be kind of a training camp guy. But uh, obviously, the competition is not extremely high at that position right now, so it's very possible that he could be our starting kicker. We also got Brendan White, safety from Rutgers. Teton Salties, offensive lineman from New Mexico State. Rashid Hamaka, edge from Oregon State. Jordan Peters, safety from Auburn. We got Tristan Hogue, an offensive lineman that protected for Zach Wilson at BYU. We got Grant Hermans, an offensive lineman from Purdue. Another offensive lineman, Parker Ferguson from Air Force. We got a linebacker, Milo Eifler from Illinois. Defensive tackle, Michael Dwomfor from Rutgers. And a Oregon State cornerback, Isaiah Dunn. So we got a couple guys from Rutgers. A couple guys from Oregon State, a couple guys from Auburn on this team, a couple guys from Ole Miss. I think it's, you know, very possible that we attended these pro days um, with maybe a couple more people than some of the other pro days because it looked like there were a few schools that we really went after. Maybe they had schemes that were similar to what we wanted to run and we, you know, trusted what the coaches had to say about them running and potentially transitioning into the NFL. But, yeah, a bunch of guys from those schools, BYU as well, actually. And uh, that is our undrafted free agent class. Those are some names to look at right now. Those are just some of the guys that are going to be in there. They're going to be people people that are playing in the training camps in the preseason. And like every year, a couple of those guys will make it out. Last year, you know, we had Bryce Huff, Javelin Guidry, Lamar Jackson. Those were some undrafted guys that ended up making an impact on this team. You know, some more than others. Javelin Guidry may end up being a starter this year. Robbie Anderson was an undrafted guy. Uh, Damon Harrison Snacks was an undrafted guy. There's a lot of scenarios where these guys come out. So we don't know exactly who it's going to be but hopefully we find one or two of those guys that can make it to the active roster by really impressing the team. And when you look at this whole thing, you can really start to see Joe Douglas's vision, right? He really wanted to build through the draft and build young core pieces, start with low contracts, get those pieces in there, and then fill in the gaps later on. He wanted to build through the trenches, offensive and defensive. We've definitely invested in the offensive side, and our defensive line is probably one of the best in the entire NFL. 
He wanted to build around the quarterback with weapons. He wanted to put a quarterback in a position to succeed. So bringing in a guy like Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore, LaMichael Pirine, and Michael Carter, five guys in the last two years, on top of some other undrafted free agents and some little you know, additions here and there, I mean, that's a pretty big investment there in two seasons. And then build the best culture in sports. And Robert Sala is a great example of that because you can't find a guy that you like more and believe in more and that you believe has a better interest in your players and your team than what you see from him. We got him right now. And when you hear about some of these guys that we drafted this year, just like last year, we went after team captains. We've talked about it on this podcast. Expect Joe Douglas to go after those culture locker room types of guys. He would love a great athlete, a guy that can do flashy stuff and make amazing catches or big plays, more physically imposing than anybody else in the draft, but he really wants high character, high quality, intelligent, smart, leadership individuals, a lot of former team captains in college, and he kind of went through that again this year. You'll see a few of these guys really stand out as that. It's like that right there. That's a Joe Douglas guy. So overall, a very good draft. You can see it from some of the NFL analysts from around the league and some of these draft gurus and experts. Mel Kuyper, for example, had the Jets as the number three rated draft in the entire NFL this year behind only the Dolphins and Chargers. So for whatever that's worth, a very high rating. I've seen some other people. um, One of the sites said that they had the Jets' first three picks all rated over 90 on a scale of 100. And it's the first time since 2008 that any team has drafted three players with a grade of 90 or higher. So it's just, you know, it doesn't mean anything yet because these guys haven't played yet. And we know how spotty the draft is how often a guy that you think is going to be good doesn't end up reaching his full potential or maybe is a bust entirely it happens all the time especially the Jets we've had tons of these guys over the years but when you see kind of unanimous opinions around the league that the Jets did it the right way and they're building this thing and you're like you know what because you see it too you know Joe Douglas's plan here and you can tell that he's got a vision and that he is getting the right pieces in and this team even though they didn't win a lot of games last year you knew that we were moving in the right direction and I don't know exactly which of these guys are guaranteed going to pan out other than probably Elijah Vera Tucker, but a bunch of them will. Maybe it'll be the fourth rounders, the fifth, sixth. We don't know. But I trust that he drafted these guys for a reason, and a lot of them will surprise us. So very pleased with the draft. We are going to get into individual player breakdowns from this draft class, but before we do, we have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. And that is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And today, drinking something a little crazy as well. Last week, I drank a Transcend. It was like a peanut butter, schmuckers, fluffables, crazy thing. This is from the same brewery, Transcend Brewing, and they make kind of like experimental sours. This one's called True Colors Coral Reef by Transcend. It's a smoothie-style fruited sour ale. It is, it's very interesting. I mean, these things are like thick and fruity and sour. It tastes more like candy than alcohol. This one is 6% alcohol. You have to roll it before you drink it because there's like so much. I think they brew it with actual fruit. And so you got to like roll it to make sure that the stuff uh, mixes around. But this personally is probably too sweet for my liking. And it was like $6 for a can of this thing. I got probably three of them, and it was like $18 for three beers. And you're like, it better be really freaking good. I like the other one, the Fluffables. This one, too sweet, too sugary, but... It's sour. It's interesting. Again, I said last week that that beer was better for, like, sharing and doing maybe, like, flights or having somebody split it with you just to get, like, the fun flavor and have a little boost. You wouldn't want to drink a lot of it. This is one that I am, uh, I've been drinking it all episode. I'm about three-quarters of the way done with it, and I'm kind of 
wishing for my gut's sake that I don't continue drinking it, but we can't get rid of it, right? That's alcohol abuse to throw this thing out. So we will continue drinking True Colors Coral Reef by Transcend Brewing and yeah, just a fun beer. That's what's going on today for What's on Tap. All righty, we are going to move into like specific player breakdowns in this draft. This is the fun part. This is what we wanted to get to. We start with the quarterback, number two overall pick, Zach Wilson from BYU. This guy is 6'3", 210 pounds. So he played for BYU. It's a smaller school, obviously shortened seasons this year, and they didn't end up playing any Power 5 conference teams. The best teams that they played were like Hawaii, Coastal Carolina. There were some other smaller schools mixed in there. Army and, and Navy, I think, were in there. And uh, you look through it, it's like it's not a great body of work, but the guy absolutely dominated it this year. He threw 73.5% completion percentage, 3,692 yards, 12.6 air yards per attempt, which I like to see that thrown downfield, 33 touchdowns, and three interceptions. He plays like a Patrick Mahomes, like an Aaron Rodgers, like a Sam Darnold, can escape, got creativity outside of the pocket, likes to look downfield. Now, Sam Darnold's creativity and gunslinger mentality was kind of stripped away from him from Adam Gase and that offensive scheme, so take him out of it. But Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, the way they extend and try to look downfield and make plays and find the big open receiver, extend the pocket when guys can get open, that's the stuff that Zach Wilson can do. He had a shoulder injury, so you're a little nervous about that. He didn't play against big schools this year, so you're a little nervous about that. This was really his big year coming onto the scene. A guy like Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, they've been at the center of attention for the last two, three years. But Zach Wilson, he really made a name for himself this year. Now, a lot of people see him throw a natural throw over the football and think that he's possibly the best passer in this entire draft class because he can make those off-balance throws. He can throw it on a line to a receiver. He can throw it running left, throw it running right, across the body, to the other side. I mean, he can do it all, and it's very impressive to see. Am I completely convinced that he's going to be the savior of the New York Jets? No, I am not completely convinced that he is destined to be an incredible quarterback. But I will say that he has more upside than probably any other quarterback in this entire draft. And if the Joe Jets and Joe Douglas truly invest in that side of the ball and build a good offensive line and get good weapons and a good running game, and that stuff all comes together with a good offensive scheme and playbook, yeah, he absolutely could be very good very quickly. I think there's more stability, even though this team has never played together yet, and we've never seen this coaching staff work together, it still feels like there's more stability now than there's been in years. Because you didn't feel any with Adam Gase there and Dowell Loggins and Greg Williams. It was like these separate entities working on their own things. Some people didn't even know what their jobs were. Dowell Loggins, I'm talking to you. When you look at it now, it feels like it all kind of is a cohesive unit between it because it's, it's Robert Sala. It's his guy, Jeff Albrecht, that he's worked with in the past. He's on the defensive side of the ball. And then it's the old offensive coordinator for the 49ers, Michael LaFleur, who he's very familiar with. So there's actually more continuity with this team coming in first year than we had with the old one. And I trust what they're going to do around Zach Wilson. I hope that he plays well. But the good news is, if he doesn't, if for any reason after two years Zach Wilson is not panning out, the Jets hopefully will have the right infrastructure around to plug in another good quarterback. It is much easier to be a quarterback plugged into the Kansas City Chiefs or the Baltimore Ravens or the Buffalo Bills, when you have good talent around you, it's much easier than being plugged into a team like the Cincinnati Bengals or the Jets or the Lions. It just simply is. But as the Jets become one of those better teams in the league, just because they're built balanced and they've got players all over the field that can do stuff, 
It's going to be easier for any quarterback. And I think Zach Wilson will be the beneficiary. I don't think we're going to have to look further. I believe in this guy. But, you know, we're Jets fans. We've seen this how many times now? We do this every uh, three years, it feels like. So, you know, cautious optimism. This guy's also sneaky athletic, Zach Wilson. 254 rushing uh, yards and 10 touchdowns rushing last season. So he's got some sneaky athleticism. You just don't want to see him get hit too much. He's got to learn to slide a little bit better and, uh, you know, make sure he doesn't get injured because he's the future. And if you look at the depth chart right now, Mike White and Captain Morgan, that is not a quarterback room that you really trust or want to see anybody else playing. So the Jets' next pick in this draft, Elijah Vera Tucker guard, I was really wanting this guy. I was hoping, hoping that he would drop to 23. Joe Douglas didn't want to risk it. He gave up two third-round picks. Again, I am all there for it because I truly believe in this guy. Six foot four, 315 pounds, coming out of USC. My dad did, uh, I told you about those player profiles that he does, those handwritten notes. I actually have one that he did on Elijah Vera Tucker early, and this was done probably, I don't know, January or February when he was doing his scouting then. This is one of the first guys he looked at. And pardon me as I try to read some of his handwriting here because these are all handwritten. That makes the most sense, right? Everyone's got a computer, but let's handwrite these things. Um, no, I appreciate him for it. He's, you know, he's keeping that cool stuff alive, that classiness in that older generation. But uh, let's see. Elijah Vera Tucker, left guard, tackle USC. He's a red shirt junior, six foot four, 315 pounds, 21 years old, four-star recruit. It's a very good, very, very good 2020 season. He's got better run than pass skill, but he's very athletic. He's good, but not great feet. He was first team all Pac-12. He started at right guard as a backup in 2018. He started at left guard in 2019. He had a very good season. Then he started at left tackle in 2020, had another very good season. He's good laterally. One of his negatives is he he needs to work on his hands, but that can be fixed through coaching. He's very good in the zone scheme. He's got a nasty streak. He has very few negatives, less negatives than most prospects. He's projected to be a high first-round draft pick good in space, and good at the second level. So when you look at that, very few negatives, that stands out to you really quick, but good in the zone scheme, that's what we're going to be running. Versatile, athletic, you know, the things he needs to work on, his hands, some stuff like that, that's not a big deal. Like you wrote in there, that can be fixed through coaching, and I think it will be. Elijah Vera Tucker, this is a slam dunk pick, and super excited. This is like, you know how we had, you know, it's not a flashy, but you draft Debrickershaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold in the same draft. And it wasn't super flashy at the time, and you were like, all right, it's a center or whatever. But how nice to have those positions locked up for years. Now imagine doing that again. Mekhi Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker on the left side, creating Mountainside, the strongest left-handed dominant team in the entire NFL. That is the dream, and very possible. So, great pick there. Next pick up, wide receiver Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. This guy's 5'9", 185 pounds. He ran a 4-3-2 40-yard dash. Now, some of you may remember at the uh, in the middle of last podcast, I said when it came to the second and third round, I don't want Elijah Moore. I said this is just frankly not a player that I'm interested in getting, at least not in the second or third round. He was one of the few players that I actually went out and said, don't get this guy. For the reason being, I scouted probably 150 to 200 players this offseason, spent, I don't know, 50 hours or so looking at these guys, watching film, and when I watch him, what I see from him is very, very good hands, very reliable, very consistent, but the speed that he's got doesn't always show up on the field, and he doesn't always show great burst, 
great, huge playmaking ability. Yes, he can make the catch. Yes, he can get 30 yards here and there, but he's not like a game-breaking guy. He doesn't get 70-yard runs. And when I'm looking at some of these players that are in the same position group, like a Kadarius Toney, who can do that stuff, I get really excited. And then when I look at the guys in the later half of the draft that are a little bit cheaper in terms of value, like an Amon Ross St. Brown, who could potentially be a really good slot guy, I'm like, all right, there's no reason to invest in a guy like Elijah Moore who's just really, really solid, just a, a really good, solid, reliable player. Maybe that's something that you get a little bit later on. Let's go flashy. Let's go with like a star caliber player. So I said all that. Then this weekend comes and we draft him, and I'm like, okay, this has thrown me for a loop. Not what I was expecting. Not super excited in the moment, but deep down, I am excited that we're investing in a wide receiver. At the end of the day, investing in that. Like I want an offense, one of my biggest need positions. It still is filling a hole. Jamison Crowder's our slot guy right now, only got one year left. Elijah Moore is presumably going to come in and be the new slot guy. And so it does fill a need, and it could be very, very helpful for the Jets if he's good. So it's like, all right, that part makes sense. Then I look up a little film on him, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. He is uh, maybe a little tougher, a little, uh, got a little bit more edge than I thought. Really plucks the ball down. I'm like, all right, I can get behind this guy. Then I hear him talking in the interview, and he just talks about being super hardworking, super ambitious, being one of the first guys to practice, one of the last guys to leave, how he's going to do whatever it takes. He just wants to learn, get really good. And you're like, you know what, this is cliche, but at least he's saying it, and he's saying it in a very intelligent and clear, focused way. So I'm like, all right, this guy's actually a pretty good guy, and he seems like a good team player. Then I see videos of how happy Joe Douglas and Robert Sala are when they draft him, and it's like, wow, they really, really wanted this guy. They were saying they thought they wanted him at 23. They were bummed they had to move up to get Elijah Vera Tucker because they would have loved to get Elijah Moore also. They never thought he'd make it to the second round, and he did, so they had to take him. That's why they didn't trade back in that spot where we thought maybe they would. So you're like, all right. And A.J. Brown, former teammate from Ole Miss, you see a video of him just like sobbing uncontrollably for two minutes talking about how he thinks that Elijah Moore is this totally gifted guy, and he always knew it, and they're brothers forever, and this guy's like, he's cut different, comes from a different cloth, and it's going to be awesome. Like, man, I'm starting to get behind this stuff. And then you see, I was told by somebody that, like, Kadarius Tony is apparently trying to be perhaps a rapper named Young Joker or something like that, which is why he had that Joker thing on his neck in his interviews when he was drafted. And you're like, wait a minute, did we actually get this heart and soul of a team type of wide receiver who's going to come in here, work his butt off, be loved by everybody, and leave it all on the field every single week? I think we did. And I started like, you know what? What is wrong with me? Why didn't I like this guy? And that's on me because, you know, I'm going through these people and I look for 15 minutes, 20 minutes into them and then I move on. I'm like, yeah, all right. I don't go back really because there's just so many people I'm trying to learn the next guy. And you know what? I completely whiffed on this one because now I'm looking at him like, I trust him as much as anybody now because he catches the ball every single time and the way that he's built and the way that he's wired inside, he just seems like a guy that you want to go to war with. You can buy videos of this guy absolutely dominating quarterbacks in practice pushing him at the line, great route running. I mean, like I said, 4-3-2, 40-yard dash. That was way faster than I expected. He's got great hands, very polished. And when you look at his stats from this year in just eight games, he had 86 receptions, so more than 10, tar- more than 10 receptions per game, 1,193 receiving yards, eight touchdowns, and then an additional 64 rushing yards. So the production is there. The personality traits are there. The hype is there. The position of need is there. Offensive investment is there. There's no reason for me not to be hyped about this guy, and uh, I want to apologize to him in case you heard the podcast. Word probably got around to him. This is the jet life was a little down on him. I hope he proves me wrong. I can help build that chip on his shoulder and let him just keep doing what he does. Moving on, the Jets' next and final offensive player drafted, Michael Carter, running back out of UNC, five foot nine, 200 pounds. 
This guy's got similar size and very similar metrics in like the combine and pro days to Aaron Jones and Giovanni Bernard. So he's that type of runner. As I mentioned before, he wasn't one of the running backs that was on my list in the past podcast episode, but he should have been. He was my number five ranked running back, and he's got a ton of skill. Um, he was apparently the Jets' top target on day three. That is what both Robert Sala and Joe Douglas said in the press conference. And my dad was saying he wanted Trey Sermon in the fourth round last week, and I think I was with him that Trey Sermon would have been a good player to get there. Um, the guy would be perfect for this offense and go figure the 49ers end up drafting him and put him into basically the same offense to do the same thing. So it makes sense, but he goes a little bit early. And Michael Carter is a guy that I had ranked a little bit ahead of Trey Sermon and is available at that spot, the fourth round. You got to take him. So my dad is stoked. I'm stoked about it. This guy had the third most broken tackles in FBS. He had the most 20 plus yard runs in all of college football in the FBS. He blocks, he catches, he can run outside. He's tough. And this guy's going to be an absolute game player for the Jets. I don't think he's going to be a featured back running, you know, 20 times a game, but I think in a committee, like the Jets will want to run, similar to how the 49ers did it, he's going to be very, very good, and when he comes in for, even if it's just 11 carries, 9 carries or something, they could be very, very explosive runs because he's got home run ability. And last week I said I wanted running back because the running back room has no pop. Ty Johnson's got some pop to him, but Josh Adams and Tevin Coleman, who's probably going to be injured at some point, and Michael Pirine, no pop. It was like, where's the big home run ability that we have been missing for years? And this guy, he brings it right back. So I love the Michael Carter pick. Two picks I'm going to do at once here. Jamie and Sherwood and Hamsa Nasiruldin. Both of these guys were drafted to safeties, but they're big guys. Sherwood is 6'2", 220, a one-year starter at Auburn. Nasiruldin, 6'4", 220. He was a uh, big-time player for FSU, super athletic, a four-star recruit, but he got injured, tore his ACL in 2019. It carried over into 2020, didn't play a lot, and, you know, it moved him down. But he was potentially going to be a top one, two, three-round guy, and he ended up dropping to round well, five or six this year. So the Jets get him, big break. And uh, the reason that I lump them together is because these are both safeties that Robert Sala drafts, and he says that they're both going to be linebackers for this team. He wants to move them on the outside at linebacker. Um, these guys are people that have been comfortable playing a ton of positions in college. Both of them played cornerback, linebacker, slot, strong safety, and free safety in college. But they're going to be moved probably to linebacker here because Robert Sala really wants to have a fast, fast defense. He said that. He wants to be quick to the ball, run and hit, and he wants to make sure that we are just all over the field zipping, zapping around. you got to get some light on their feet type of linebacker. So instead of drafting bigger-bodied guys who would potentially be slower to the point of attack, he goes with these guys and will move them in, maybe add on a little bit of weight, but I guess he really liked what he saw from both of them in terms of their play diagnosis and their hard-hitting ability. They're both long, fast, very versatile, and he loves the versatility because you can move them all around the field. You're not kind of boxed in. When you put 11 guys out there, you're not exactly sure what each guy's going to do because they're all super versatile. These guys run and hit. They bring speed and coverage to the team, and, you know, they want to play fast. They want to play fast, and these guys will help them do it. So very similar picks there. Both Sherwood and Nasiruldin will be shifting to linebacker most likely. We'll see. One of them very well will be the starting linebacker, outside linebacker for the Jets week one. Then the Jets draft Michael Carter the second. So the second Michael Carter they draft and the second from his family. So tons of Michael Carters all over the world, apparently, that we had no idea about. This guy played for Duke, another ACC school, just like the other Michael Carter, but he's 5'11", 190 pounds, and Salah projects him to be probably like a nickel cornerback or free safety. This guy's sticky in coverage. He's had a few career interceptions, I think four in his career, but he ran a 4-3-2 40-yard dash starting 36 games in college. 
This guy's super fast. More speed for that defense. Another lightning quick guy. We're a young team. We're a fast team. If we play against an older team and they haven't studied up on us, we could be running circles around them with these guys that we're getting in here. What I love about Michael Carter, this guy is extremely smart. He was an academic all-ACC player in 2018, 19, and 2020. All academic. Super high-quality character guy. He was a semi-finalist for the William V. Campbell Award, which is the top football scholar-athlete in the nation for combined academic success, football performance, and leadership. That's an amazing thing. To, in the entire nation, this random quarter, cornerback, Michael Carter from Duke, is potentially the greatest leader, scholar, and football player in the country. He was also a semifinalist for the Jason Witten Collegiate Man of the Year Award. You're talking about probably one of the best people in all of college football. And he's on our team. And he's got success playing for Duke. Is he guaranteed to come in and be a difference maker? No, I think after the after the original Michael Carter running back pick, everything is kind of a flyer from there. But we got six guys drafted there that are all young, quick, and have upside. And they won't all be the guy, but some of them will. And if you bring in high-character, high-quality guys, at least the people on the field, in the locker room, talking in the meetings and stuff, are good people to have there and will make everybody else better, on and off the field. So great guy. I love Michael Carter, too. Can't, see, can't wait to see what he does for the Jets. Then we draft a cornerback from Pittsburgh, Jason Pinnock, who actually modeled his game after Darrell Rivas, another Pittsburgh cornerback. And Pinnock is six foot oh, two 201 pounds. My dad really likes him. Thinks that he's a very good, solid-style cornerback for his own. He ran a 4-4-5 40-yard dash, which isn't super fast, but it's pretty quick. But he had a 39.5-inch vertical, which is a big jump. And he had six career interceptions, so the guy's got some hands. I think that he could definitely be competing for, you know, top three outside corner on this team. Another guy that could be competing for corner, Brandon Eccles. This guy ran a 4-2-8 40-yard dash. Cornerback out of Kentucky, 5'11", 180 pounds. A 4-2-8 40-yard dash. He played 24 career games and started in junior college and then worked his way up. But he graduated from Kentucky with a degree in community and leadership development. I didn't even know that that was a degree, community and leadership development, but it sounds like the most noble thing that you could possibly do if you're going to be a professional sports player to double it up with that. This guy literally studied helping the community and having leadership skills. So kind of, a great character guy to have on the team as well. Another guy that you really want to root for, another guy that's great to have in the locker room. Even if he doesn't pan out as a cornerback when it's all said and done, if he's one of those guys that like, yeah, we didn't quite get it from him, at least he was a great guy to have there for the entire time. And there's a very good chance running a 4-2-8 that he can make himself very, very useful in the NFL. And the last pick the Jets had in the draft, Jonathan Marshall, Arkansas defensive tackle, six foot three, 310 pounds. This guy is athletic. He's very well built. He was a big-time basketball player. And he's got family lines and lineage in the NFL. I think he had like two or three family members that played in the NFL. So he's a developmental guy that's got all of the physical raw attributes. And if Robert Sala and the defense, you know, Jeff Albrecht and the guys can develop him, he could potentially be one of those players if we move on from a Sheldon Rankins or Foley Fadakasi. But he's not going to be asked to contribute for a very long time. He can be on the practice squad, probably develop his skills there and just see see if he hits. You know, at the end of the day, he was drafted, what, like 30 picks before undrafted free agents. And so it's not guaranteed that any of these players are even meant to be on an NFL roster. Some of them won't be. But you draft the guys that you think have upside or can play to your scheme. And I think the Jets really understand who they are and what they want to do. They understand what type of players they want. We said from Joe Douglas's vision, it was very, it was very clear that he was going to trade around a lot in the draft. 
who's going to prioritize the offensive line. He's going to go after a quarterback, build up the offense. He's going to bring in high-quality, good leadership guys. Robert Sala is going to try to get a fast, quick defense. He's going to try to get after the passer. That was very important to him. These are very obvious things that we knew were going to happen, and the Jets have stuck to it the entire way. And a lot of times you get a general manager and head coach combination where they talk the talk, and they're like, yeah, we really want to prioritize the trenches. We really want to bring in more competition at this. But they don't really back it up. They don't really do the actions for the words they're saying. But this team that we have right now is doing it all. And I trust them, and I think it's the right approach, and I think it's working, and I think we're going to get better. And I can't wait for training camps and just position battles and preseason and all that good stuff because, you know, I don't think that we're destined to be some 10-11 win team this year, but I think we're destined to take major steps forward, find some really good young guys, more core pieces, and just keep moving this thing until we're going to be really dangerous soon. We will be. A lot rides on Zach Wilson, but this coaching staff is one that you believe in. So... We'll see what happens, but that is a breakdown of the Jets draft. I know it was a lot of information. I got a lot of notes here. It's kind of uh, still new to me as well. This draft was three days ago. I've spent a lot of time studying, looking into these guys, trying to get familiar with who they are and everything, but yeah, it's still a big learning curve. As the weeks go on, these guys are going to become more and more regular names to us. We're going to get a better feel for who they are and what they do. Probably touch on some of that stuff next week. Again, not exactly sure what we're going to do for the podcast episode in two weeks on the 18th, but we will be doing one. We just have to figure out what it is. I just started a softball season. I'm on a softball team for five churches brewing here in Connecticut. And um, depending on what my schedule is, I don't really want to miss a softball game. So if I have to push the podcast to a Monday or a Wednesday, so be it. I will let you guys know on Twitter beforehand just to give you an update. But that's all I got for this episode. Thank you for joining me for this one. I hope you're as excited about this Jets 2021 draft class as I am. Can't wait to get to work with them. And I look forward to being back here. In two weeks, I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 